The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. Hello, Save Them family. Landon here. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the Save Them podcast as we uh, round out our 10th episode in our series on mission scope for Save Them. And uh, this last one is one that we we don't really seek out, um, but we keep getting pulled into. And I often wonder if if it's just because we're the church, you know, um, you know, we operate under the principles of truth and righteousness. And so I guess we're just naturally geared uh, towards being someone that people can come to to help with today's topic. And that topic is corruption. Um, Corruption when it comes to organizations and infiltration as well, especially when it comes to the church. And so um, we... We always find ourselves in the middle of this one. Um, we don't make a lot of friends <laughs> working on this part because uh, we're really we really get involved with exposing people, shining light on their dastardly deeds, and then having you know partners that we work with then effectively take down either peers or um, really destabilizing and undoing false churches, et cetera, et cetera. So um, not not our favorite part of what we do um, necessarily, uh, but it is something that the Lord calls us to the middle of over and over and over again. <laughs> I mean, it's like every time this happens yet again, I, I, uh, I'll be on a call with our team and just kind of like, man, what what is it about us that the Lord has geared us to fight the specific part of the fight and, um, you know, rooting out corruption and uh, infiltration into the church? Uh, there are so many wolves that we've had to kick out. Um, there are so many crooks that we've had to expose. And it, that's a hard slog, especially in the in the government side when you're talking about people of significant authority and prominence. And uh, we get to be the ones that let everybody know that that person is, is not what they thought they were. And that's that never goes over well the first time or the second or third or, you know, maybe by the seventh time. Uh, but, you know, evidence being what it is and data being what it is, it's usually easy to make the case. And really it just becomes a, a situation where people have to kind of come to grips with a reality that they were misled or mistaken. And and then in the church, well, you want to talk about doubly tough is when you're exposing someone like a pastor or, um, or a, unfortunately, and I, I, I do not make a business of talking poorly about other nonprofits, um, but there have been times when nonprofits we're involved in the work that we do, but for all the wrong reasons. And you could you could sense it. Um, if you did the sniff test, it didn't smell so great. But it was only really once their actions kind of um, bore themselves out that 
the evidence was there and people could say, oh my goodness, these people who had such great stories or marketing or whatever were actually just kind of in it for themselves or um, even worse, in it to hurt others, which has happened, especially with things like orphanages. So yeah, so here we are. Um, the, the clip I pulled today is, is a conversation between a few folks that are really talking about the, the, um, fabric of corruption in South Africa and the slippery slope that the country has gone down. Um, this is a very timely episode because just today, uh, there were news reports about the fact that the United Arab Emirates is going to refuse to extradite the Gupta brothers, uh, which were connected, as you'll hear in today's clip, to corruption uh, at the highest levels in South Africa. And uh, so now South Africa and United Arab Emirates are fighting over the fact that these corrupt businessmen are hiding out in the UAE and they have taken South Africa for a ride. And they did a lot in conjunction with previous administrations of government. So... For those that don't know South Africa in and out, this will be very educational for you uh, to really understand the landscape that we're working in because this type of corruption is so pervasive and it affects every part of the country. And when you're corrupt at the top, then it really flows downhill. And we encounter this all the time. And in fact, the ministry even began by meeting the need to address the fact that children were being kidnapped in a township where the police were bought off by the crime syndicates. There you go. Case in point. So we do ask you to really pray into this issue. Um, South Africa is a wonderful place, and it has been hijacked by some pretty non-wonderful players. And we'd love to see them undone. And we'd love to see righteousness restored uh, to, to a land that by and large does claim Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, they are fighting the good fight from within. Um, but that, that country is under attack, no doubt. And uh, with the pivotal role that South Africa plays in the global movement of goods and uh, trade and, um, and, as you've heard in our podcast, people. Uh, then we need South Africa to be a beacon of light to the world and not a corrupt, torn down, used to be uh, shadow of a country. Um, we need a restored, God-fearing South Africa that will stand for righteousness and um, help help shine that light to the rest of Africa, but also to the rest of the world. And um, this is <laughs> me speaking as someone who's sitting in a very tragically deteriorating United States right now um, as we watch our corrupt elite politicians, et cetera, et cetera, just tear this country to shreds. And so this is, this is not a situation of the pot calling the kettle black. This is just me saying there's an opportunity in South Africa to do great things. And, um, and we, we, we hope that the Lord will use this ministry to do such such things. And thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, uh, both in prayers and financial assistance. Um, as you know, um, <laughs> every 
penny of financial assistance that you throw our way goes straight to the field. And um, I just saw the reports this last week that the inflation in South Africa is four to seven times worse than they thought it was. And so um, you think we're hitting inflation in the, here in the U.S. It's hitting like crazy in South Africa. So, um, yeah, thank you for any financial support you send, but also help pray for the people of South Africa as they navigate these difficult times. Okay, I am going to kick you over to the report now and the conversation about corruption and how did we get here and where do we go. So thank you so much for being with us today. And this is Landon, out. Cheers. Hi, I'm Femi OK. Thanks for watching the stream. This week, a long report, excuse me, a long-awaited report by South Africans is due to be released. It is an investigation into how billions of dollars were stolen during the presidency of President Jacob Zuma. Meanwhile, in the United Arab Emirates, two businessmen who were implicated in the scandal have been arrested. They are waiting to be extradited. Does this mean that South Africa is ready to face full-on? It's corruption issues. That is the conversation we're about to have today on YouTube. The comment section is right here waiting for you. Do be part of today's show. Now, who can we bring on board to talk about this conversation? It's such a tricky one to have. Pumlani, Kavisha, Famida, thank you so much. We do appreciate you. Pumlani, please say hello to our audience. Tell them who you are, what you do. Hello, everyone. Um, I am an economics and politics commentator in South Africa. I write for various news outlets. So, yeah, that's what I do in the media and comment on current affairs, give an input and be a voice. And that's why I'm here. Nice to have you. Kavisha, welcome to the stream. Please say hello to our audience around the world. Tell them who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kavisha Pillay. I am the Head of Stakeholder Relations and Campaigns at, an, at a non-profit organization called Corruption Watch in Johannesburg. Um, I'm a social justice activist and I've been in the anti-corruption field for at least the last decade. Good to have you. And Famido, welcome back to the stream. It's always good to have you on board. Please remind our audience who you are and what you do. Thanks very much, Femi. I'm Famida Miller. I'm the Southern African correspondent for Al Jazeera English, and I've covered a number of stories around some of these corruption scandals that involve the former president, but um, appears to be carrying on into the current administration in South Africa and continues to be a major topic of discussion here. Famida, this phrase, state capture, it's unique to South Africa. It's almost as if government politicians have been using South African funds as if it's like an ATM. It's like this public's money, it's our money, let's use it. Can you give us a couple of examples of what state capture literally means? It's basically elements of the state being taken over, taking, being defunded. And that's exactly it. And that South Africans, um, to some extent, haven't had answers around just how these state funds have been used. And in that way, 
the state captured and used to benefit a select few and perhaps people linked to them. You touched on the Gupta brothers who had been arrested in the United Arab Emirates at the beginning of this month. And I think this is specifically a story that has captured the imagination of South Africans because you have one family um, born in India to begin with who moved to South Africa in around 1993 or 1994 and through their relationship with the former president Jacob Zuma managed to manipulate state enterprises, influence the former president, and also affect just who runs this country, ultimately wanting specific people in prominent positions to mm. benefit their business dealings. And I think that's one of the major and key issues, um, examples of state capture in South Africa. But I think what is concerning for South Africans is that it seems to be top down and almost no end to the extent of corruption. And that's why I think they're keeping a keen eye on this in particular, because it's one of those instances that needs to be dealt with effectively and for South Africans to feel reassured that something is being done to the national purse where they just don't have answers around their tax money. Kavisha, is this the biggest corruption scandal that South Africa has ever had to deal with? Yes, unfortunately, um, you know, during the state capture era, this iteration of the state capture era, um, it, it has been quite devastating to the country. Just to build onto what Fumida was saying is that state capture is a type of grand corruption. Um, and what the Gupta brothers had done um, essentially was they had hollowed out state institutions, so like state-owned enterprises, but also law enforcement institutions in the country were one of the first to fall, meaning that politically compromised people were placed in our criminal justice agencies so that um, they could then not go after and prosecute and hold the Gupta brothers and uh, those within their circle accountable. Um, so it has been very devastating to the country. Um, it has been a very big issue. Uh, but corruption has been a problem for South Africa even before our democracy. Mm. Um, I think at this point, or what's different right now, is that there's a higher level of transparency. We have free media. We're able to expose this. But these types of uh, issues around state caption, grand political corruption, is not something that's new to South Africa. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Polani, I remember living in South Africa at the time when Jacob Zuma was campaigning to be president and people were laughing. I was like, Jacob Zuma, he's got such such a history, such a cheeky person. He's, he's got so much baggage. There is no way he's going to be president of South Africa. Um, and here we are. Is the problem with corruption, is it because Jacob Zuma set as president an atmosphere for where there's an anything-goes way of governing? Or was he just sliding in quite nicely into a way of governing that was already set up? Well, look, um, corruption was already there, as Kavisha has sort of, uh, you know, uh, said. But with Jacob Zuma, the state capture, it was, I would argue, the biggest scandal in South Africa's democracy. Um, because of the magnitude, the nature of it, the connections that were built. A, a very interesting statistic is that some people estimate that about $6.5 billion was looted or stolen, you know, in government funds um, in this state capture, you know, in this corruption network with the Guptas and Zuma's administration. Now, Femi, that's a big amount 
of money, given the challenges the country faces, the challenges of poverty, the challenges, challenges of uh, service delivery, uh, poor education, infrastructure. It's that a we lack, shame. It's shameful, Pumlani, isn't it? Because we, shame. because South Africans are still disappointed that their standard of living. Um, since apartheid had ended, is not as high as they would like it to be. Meanwhile, the politicians that they voted into office are stealing, not all of them, but some of them are stealing their wealth. That is shameful. I think maybe this is, is also where the ANC... And... I think this uh, is... Um, the... Sorry, guys. The African National Congress is... Um, having a lot of difficulty and um, being criticized significantly because of the promises made. And we're seeing how the extent of corruption is trickling down to a dwindling support for the ANC. We saw this in the last election. And we're also facing a very important political year in South Africa this year. And this is where these corruption allegations against a number of, of high-ranking um, ANC leadership um, even the current president, Sil Ramaphosa, embroiled in a scandal at the moment um, around a private residence and, and the alleged theft of millions of dollars. Mm. This kind, these kind of allegations and scandals are trickling down to South Africans and ultimately affecting the ANC support because of the lack of service delivery. So you've spoken about how it's, it's impacted how South Africans are viewing the government and how they're disgruntled. But ultimately, we are going to have authorities held to account, if not with criminal charges being laid against them, but certainly a dwindling political support. They are going to feel the impact of that. Let me just go to YouTube because I've got some interesting comments on YouTube. Uh, Kavisha, help me out with a few of these. Cello says, apart from just the monetary value that was stolen, what was worse was the investment lost in infrastructure and improving the lives of ordinary people. Kavisha, can you pick up on that thought? Definitely. I mean, South Africa, at the dawn of our democracy, uh, we've had, you know, been with our constitution, we have perhaps one of the most progressive constitutions in the world. What corruption has done is that it's prevented the realization of basic human rights to people, meaning that there's a large population in our country who don't have access to uh, basic services, to running water, to housing, to education, to health care, just as Pumlani was saying. And, you know, I think for a long time, the conversation around corruption has always been an economic one. You know, we've always focused or fetished, you know, um, you know, the amount of the billions and the trillions that were lost. But we've never really focused on the people and the lives that it's impacted. And I think during this, uh, you know, during the, the state capture, this iteration of state capture and during the various judi judicial commissions of inquiry, where we actually learned about ordinary people and how they've been suffering and what they've faced, you know, it's changed the conversation. And it's started to make us as a country realize that, you know, this is not sustainable. So as Pamira was saying that, you know, the political elite are losing, um, you know, trust. They've lost public trust. Um, and, you know, the scary thing that's starting to emerge is that there's a number of perception surveys that have been done by credible institutions that are saying that, you know, South Africans are willing, young South Africans are willing to give up democracy, are willing to give up their right to vote so that they can just have access to health care and water and employment. Um, and the, these are just the effects of corruption in the countries that people no longer believe in our democracy or they don't see the, the value in it because they aren't able to meaningfully participate in it.
From Lani, earlier on today, our, just to... our, our team in Johannesburg um, went out onto the streets to, to get some of the public reaction. Go ahead, did you want to say something before I play the, some of the public reaction? Because I was really interested in you just bouncing off the back of that. Pamelani, go you go first. Yes, I wanted to talk about this also highlights for me the, the, the dangers of a very, very massive, very powerful state how dangerous it can be, right? In the sense that the more the bigger the government is, that also op opens opportunities for higher levels of corruption, right? So, and we saw that um, the cementing of corruption under Jacob Zuma and the, the size of the state, how damaging it was. So we need to have also to think about how we can minimize government to make it as small as possible so that we don't see, you know, more possibilities or opportunities, opportunities of, um, Milani, who's going you know, to do of that? things of corruption getting out of... Who, who, yeah. who, who, who will do that? do that? Who will push for that? Well, I think the main thing here is to understand um, uh, basically the import that importance has to come from the head of the state. I think that's very important to say, okay, here's what I'm putting together, the administration. How do I make sure that I have as small uh, the government as possible? And how do we as also citizens push for the change as well? Because it's, we are a democracy. Mm -hmm. If we can argue and push for the change where government is getting out of control in terms of size and powers, we can achieve something. We need to drive the change as well um, as citizens. We wanted to really get a sense of how South Africans were thinking and feeling about the uh, eventual extradition of the Gupta brothers. So they have to come back to South Africa to face and to be on trial. Um, so Fumida and her team went out to talk to people and this is what they told us a little bit earlier today. Not everyone is not above the law. It's not about the law. This is an example to the ones who are causing corruption, that it, corruption is a crime. I think it's very important in a country like this that nobody is above, above the law. And uh, for the rule of law to be taking its course here, I think, is a, is a brilliant thing. And, you know, if they've got a case, let it be heard by the judiciary, an independent judiciary. And let's see what the outcome is. But I think it's a very, very good thing. The nation has been waiting for this moment. We're seeing a change, at least for once, I guess. People are not getting away with, uh, with corruption as easily as before. It's a good example to anyone who is committing such a high crimes or to anyone who might commit crime. You might run away from a place, but you're not run away from your crimes. Mira, people seem quite optimistic there. But on YouTube... I've got Heinz saying South Africa will never change while corrupt people mm. are in power. They will do everything to stay in power. But were you feeling as you were going out and about that people are, no, the Gupta brothers are coming back to face a trial. That means something. I think it's just the extent of that alleged corruption that's got people, I suppose, um, as you say, optimistic, but mm -hmm. determined um, to get answers to... Um, around state capture and corruption um, in that this family was allowed to use South Africa as a piggy bank, really. Mm. And, and I think that's yeah. why many of them are quite passionate around the Gupta brothers, perhaps the former president, Jacob Zuma, and anybody else who might be involved to answer for these alleged crimes. And also, I think the messaging from the government potentially and the National Prosecuting Authority could be on point in terms of 
showing South Africans that we're ready to do something about corruption. And that's certainly how President Cyril Ramaphosa has positioned himself, that he's anti-corruption, that he's going to clean up government, um, and that uh, South Africa it will potentially have a better future in terms of uh, restoring government integrity, um, supporting development, um, and essentially just making this a, a more workable state and just creating governance that works better for South Africans. And, and, and perhaps too optimistically, South Africans are leaning on this potential extradition and court appearance and trial of the Gupta brothers uh, to restore their faith in the government. So, Kavisha, I am thinking about how deep does corruption in South Africa go beyond former President Jacob Zuma, beyond the Gupta brothers, um, and does it spread all the way through the current government as well? Uh, how has Cyril Ramaphosa done in terms of he came, his mandate was, I am going to fight corruption. How would you assess his attempt to fight corruption? So I think corruption at the moment in the country, unfortunately, has become quite endemic. Um, and that is, you know, building on Fumida's point, there's been uh, just a culture and a sense of impunity and nobody's been held accountable. So when you see people on the streets, you know, having a sense of optimism, you can see why, because, you know, for years there's just been no accountability. But you can also understand the despair from some of you, your, the audience members on YouTube, because there's still not enough that's being done. And I think that's the issue with the current president, with uh, President Ramaphosa, is that he definitely came in on the anti-corruption ticket. Um, you know, he promised to clean up the state. But, you know, given the politics of the of the ruling party at the moment, you know, there was no leeway or there was no room for him to actually make those radical changes. But we also now are sitting with we're sitting with the president who has also been embroiled in a number of scandals, oh, you know, um, most recently around a, a property that he owns and, you know, a few million dollars that's been stashed allegedly in a couch of his. And that's right. difficult. So, Kamisha, you need to like, back up just a little bit because I, I'm so glad you told this story because I was about to ask you. So in one of his residences, I believe millions of dollars stashed in various pieces of furniture and then that money went, I want to do air quotes, but I won't, missing. Okay. Yes. Um, and so so people so, are alleging yeah. that he is involved in corruption, even though he's the person who's supposed to be fighting corruption. Kavisha, finish your thoughts. Yeah. I want to then bring in um, President Ramaphosa to see how he reacted to those, um, those, those allegations. But finish your thought. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, I mean, the, the story is still developing um, and unfolding as the days go by. From what we understand um, is that it was not public money, but the fact that um, you're just stashing a lot of dollars, a lot of cash in your house um, is a sign that there's money laundering, um, you know, and, and there's some type of criminal activity that's going on. So there's, it's not doing well in terms of building public trust that this government or that the president himself is serious about stashing fighting money in his furniture. Yeah, all right, I'm trying really hard not punisher. to laugh, but if I didn't laugh, we would all be crying. All right, so Cyril Ramaphosa is, is battling corruption allegations, and this is what he told um, the public um, and Parliament on June the 9th. Let's have a listen. It 
also requires great courage from all of us. In recent days, we have seen those who stand to lose the most from the fight against corruption, resorting to dirty tricks and intimidation in a bid to get us back to back down. But we will not be deterred by threats of any kind whatsoever. So that puts the president in a very awkward position and certainly opposition parliamentarians are pushing back. So this is from the Economic Freedom Fighter Party who on the same date started to heckle the president as he was talking about fighting corruption. Let's have a listen, let's have a look. We're going to come for them. We are 44 members of parliament. There will be no rest for Cyril in this house. He must know <clears throat> his life is going to become uncomfortable because we can't use this honourable house to cover up his money laundering activities. Pamlani, this is a very messy situation because here's a president that's well known for saying corruption, I'm fighting corruption, and then almost being undermined by his own activities, allegedly. Let's look at what is possible from civil society, South Africans. What can they do? Because I know that you were, were saying that maybe is how we sort out corruption. We have to hold people accountable. What do you think about whistleblowers? Okay, so the first thing I need to say here, Femi, is that when you look at the corruption uh, perceptions index uh, from Transparency International, since 2019, South Africa's corruption uh, perceptions they have they haven't really changed. We haven't really seen change under our, our under the current president. Um, so the, the, when it comes to whistleblowing, I think it's a very important element of our society that we have, and I think we have to have protection for those people who are willing to come forward and, uh, you know, expose corruption in the country that has got out of hand. But I, I also think that from a the change that uh, we can bring as a society, I think it's fundamental that we think about what we do in the next elections. How do we hold our leaders accountable and those who are involved in corruption, we remove them and give the opportunity to others who are less corrupt or at least who are not corrupt, um, give other people the opportunity to govern the country. Because we have seen the mismanagement um, of, of the economy, of the institutions, the corruption levels, and we are seeing little change from the current uh, president that we have, who even at this point, as we've just been speaking, is facing scandals of his own. I want to bring in here to our conversation Cynthia Stimple, who has her own story to tell about seeing corruption and calling it out. I blew the whistle on a corrupt and irregular funding transaction while working at South African Airways. In South Africa, we have the Protected Disclosures Act. However, this act does not protect whistleblowers. It has many shortcomings. In the act, it states that we should not suffer occupational detriment, yet many whistleblowers do. But as Lulu told us earlier, it's not really about the idea of South Africa handling corruption, tackling corruption, it is the political will there.
Let's have a listen, let's have a look. I think that the biggest challenge that we face in South Africa is that our government doesn't seem to be taking the corruption issue quite seriously. A few, a few months back, um, two, if not three, witnesses or people that were whistleblowers were actually killed uh, for, 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 for appearing at the Zonda Commission. And um, I don't remember of any news reports showing that those people have actually been arrested. I'm also, again, once again, just dipping into YouTube for me to uh, bring the Gupta brothers in. It's time they face the consequences. It will also be a good example to show the rest that South Africans won't stand for it, it being corruption moving forward. I feel that this is a moment for me to, this is a moment that South Africans can grab onto saying, yes, we can tackle corruption. It's not impossible to do so. Am I being overly optimistic? Final thought. I do think South Africans um, across the country are more or less on the same page in terms of fighting corruption. The last time we saw South Africans come together was calling for the resignation of the former president, Jacob Zuma. And I think the extent of corruption at this stage um, is enough to galvanize South Africans across the country because it is only affecting the everyday South African in terms of service delivery and just what the government is able to do for them, which at this point appears to be very little because so much money has been stolen, so much has been looted, and South Africans are not benefiting. Um, but also this issue around the transparency um, of the state, um, perhaps it has increased, but we've also saw in the recent months, we've seen a survey from Afrobarometer talk about 53% of South Africans say that corruption has worsened okay. under Sil Ramaphosa's um, presidency. And again, the issue of whistleblowers. We, we do need to see Thanks, better channels for people to come forward. Oh, so much to talk about whenever we talk about South Africa, particularly about how South Africa grapples with corruption. Thank you, Famida. Thank you, Kavisha. Thank you, Pumlani. And for you on YouTube for your comments and questions. I'll see you next time. Take care.